welcome to the Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Now, here's your host, Jacqueline James Friedman. Hello and welcome to Path to a Better Future. I am Jacqueline James Friedman and today's topic on TalkZone Radio is on domestic violence. If you would like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open. Please call 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. We are taking your calls on TalkZone right now. My guest today is Dr. Kathy Collette calling in from Florida. She will be revealing her experiences of working with domestic violence and sex offenders from a personal perspective and the impact it has on children. She will be discussing interventions and the steps to take if you are in a physically or emotionally abusive relationship. Hi, Dr. Kathy Collette. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy schedule that I know that you have. So thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. This, you're welcome. Thank you. This is such an important topic, and I'm very, very happy that you are willing to talk about the subject, particularly as it is often kept behind closed doors. Um, so the first thing I want to start with is, in fact, the definition of domestic violence. Um, it's been stated that it is a pattern of behavior which involves the abuse by one partner against another in an intimate relationship. Domestic violence can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, and psychological. So, Dr. Collette, can you uh, elaborate on some of those terms that I just mentioned, the physical, the sexual, emotional, etc., just so that we understand what it means to be in this kind of relationship. Yes, I sure can. Um, first of all, the physical abuse, I think the one that probably most people are familiar with is, you know, types of hitting, slapping, shoving, pinching. Sexual abuse would be coercing or attempting to coerce any sexual contact or behavior without consent. Mm-hmm. Um, emotional abuse, which is one that people always forget about. Undermining an individual's sense of self-worth or self-esteem is abusive. This may include but not limited to constant criticism, diminishing one's abilities, name-calling, damaging the relationship between um, themselves and their children, mm-hmm. the psychological abuse, and there's also spiritual abuse. I don't know if you mentioned that one but being ridiculed or punished for having religious or cultural beliefs and not allowing someone to actually practice their beliefs. The last one, economic abuse, is defined as making or attempting to make an individual financially dependent by maintaining total control over financial resources, withholding their access to money, or even forbidding one's attendance at school or employment. That's really interesting. Go ahead. That's interesting. The spiritual side um, that you mentioned, I have not come across. I haven't had one in my practice, but I did have Uh one that um, maybe I can make a more clear point to economic abuse. Mm -hmm. I have a case example for that one if you'd like me to share that with your listeners. Yes, please. Yes. 
Okay, I had a 42-year-old one, 42-year-old female client who was involved with her husband since she was approximately like 18 years old. Mm-hmm. She described her husband as controlling and manipulative. However, you know, she loved him very much, and over the years she pr- pretty much just did whatever he said. Mm-hmm. They had uh, three children together, and their first child was born when she was approximately 19 years old, so pretty much right after they met. And according to her, you know, he did not let her work. He did not want her to have a job. When she did get a job, he would show up there at lunchtime and have lunch with her, but then they'd take her out to lunch, but then not return her to work. So therefore, she would lose her job. Um, She complained that, or she claimed that she never pursued school because he didn't feel it was necessary. Mm. He felt that higher education was not necessary for her, that she should stay home with her children. Mm-hmm. And um, she became dependent upon him, and she ended up with, she ended up in my practice by, you know, feelings of hopelessness and despair and just feelings of like guilt. Mm-hmm. She couldn't make any decisions without consulting him first. Um, if he if he did, she would you know be belittled, and she said she would even be belittled in front of either public or even her family. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's a. I mean, I think that's a great case example of what economic abuse is. If nobody understood that one. Okay. What about the spiritual one, Doctor Collette? Because that's the one that I haven't come across. I, I just want to try and understand what the components of that are. Well, that would be when one maybe get married and you have two different religious beliefs, and oh, then they do not okay. let them practice that religious belief. I have not actually encountered a client just yet. Okay. And I think this was it is a very unique one, but I did read it in the research, yes. Mm, that is very unique. Um, okay, thank you for uh, elaborating on that. Um, when you meet with your clients, do they are they actually aware that they're in an abused relationship when they come in to see you? Actually not. And mm-hmm. specifically that one that I just mentioned, for example, when I discussed everything with her and even pointed out some things that, you know, that after I highlighted some things that she mentioned, and so this mm-hmm. day, even after, you know, finishing therapy and everything, she didn't really consider that domestic violence. Right. Mm-hmm. I can tell you some signs that people would be, you know, there are many signs of an abusive relationship. Yes, absolutely. I, I want you to share this message out there. Uh, for the listeners because the one thing that I just asked you was do people know that they're in a domestic violent relationship and you said no and so we need to get this message out yes so one of the most telling signs is fear of your partner okay. if you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around your partner or you're constantly watching what you say mm-hmm. in order or you know you just want to avoid them from blowing up Mm-hmm. The chances are that your relationship may be unhealthy and abusive. Okay. okay. And like I mentioned earlier, some you know some of the signs are being um, ridiculed or belittled. Like I mentioned in my case example, mm-hmm. she was belittled in front of her family and also in public. Okay. And even go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I compiled a list of questions for your listeners um, to determine whether their relationship is abusive and if they answer yes to you know majority or a lot of these questions and it's a good indicator that they may be in an abusive relationship wonderful okay fire ahead 
Okay, so like I mentioned, the, the fear one. Do you mm-hmm. feel afraid of your partner? Do you avoid certain topics out of fear of angering mm-hmm. your partner? Mm-hmm. Do you feel emotionally numb or helpless? Do you feel you cannot do anything right for your partner? Mm-hmm. Does your partner humiliate you or criticize you? Are you blamed for their abusive behavior? Do they control where you go? Keep you from seeing your friends or family? Mm-hmm. That's just one list I put together. And if someone answers more yes to most of those questions, mm-hmm. then it's more likely that they may be in an abusive relationship. Okay. So at the beginning of your intake assessment of your client, is this one of the questionnaires that you would actually uh, administer to your client? Actually, in therapy, I would probably bring out these questions to them. Mm-hmm. During the intake, I get a good background, and if I find out that domestic violence is one of, is the main problem, then yes, mm-hmm. but not as a mm-hmm. normal routine intake, no. Okay. Now, people that are involved in a domestic violent relationship, would they generally go to therapy? Not generally. Mm-hmm. As, um, as for example, in my case example, that was going on for over 20-some years, mm. and she came in when, you know, for depression, basically. Okay. She was depressed and didn't feel like her life was fulfilling. A lot of other ones that come in for domestic violence would be court-ordered. Or Got it. when the, you know, the kids are removed from the home, when a custody becomes a, okay, you know, comes mm. up in the forefront. Sure. Okay. When they're mandated to come to the therapy, do you find that they are willing to work on some of these issues or, or is there some sort of resistance that you, um, encumber, encounter, I should say? I think, I think in the beginning, they're a little bit more resistant. Mm. And, of course, any type of court-ordered therapy, you always wonder how forthcoming they actually are. Mm. But after spending a significant amount of time and you actually make, you actually, you know, develop a rapport and you, you can make some, you can help them. Right. Is there a typical profile for someone who is the abuser? They wouldn't, I haven't found any typical profile. Okay. Um, no. It could okay. be anyone. It, you know, it, you should know, it should be noted that domestic violence and abuse can happen to anyone. And right. yet the problems is often overlooked, excused, or denied. It's, you know, this is especially true when the abuse is psychological rather than physical. Mm. And if there's substance use going on in the home, I mean, that would be something that I would look for domestic violence if everybody's under the influence. Right. For example, alcohol, uh, drugs, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would probably exacerbate the initial problem that's going on anyway, correct? So if there's domestic violence going on and then somebody gets um, intoxicated, does that make it even worse? Uh, the abuse does get worse. It okay. probably goes more to the physical abuse. Okay. And, um, definitely more damage can be done. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about the sexual abuse. You mentioned cohesion? Yes, coercion. Coercion? Yes. Okay. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, this would be, well, a lot of times when you're in a a relationship and forcing them to have sex with them, 
they don't always, you know, view this as sexual abuse because right. it's a person that you've already had intimacy with. But a lot of times it comes up that this is actually sexual abuse. It is marital rape or okay. relationship rape. So people don't always acknowledge that, and they don't they don't feel that it it should be like a should be brought up to the police. Okay. Okay, that's very good. Thank you for that. Um, Dr. Collette, can you please stay on the line? We need to take a short break. I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Once again, here's Jacqueline James Friedman. Welcome back to Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. We are talking to Dr. Kathy Collette from Florida about domestic violence. Dr. Collette, how does witnessing domestic violence affect children? Okay. Well, let me point out one statistic before we start. Mm-hmm. According to the National Center for Children Exposed to Violence, mm-hmm. 10 million children per year may witness or become victims of violence. In their How home many? Or in How many? 10 million. 10, 10 million. million. That's the National Center for Children Exposed to Violence. Wow. And... For your listeners, I think I should clarify and describe what witnessing domestic violence actually means before I talk about how it actually affects them. Wonderful. Thank you. Witnessing can mean either seeing, which is the Mm -hmm. obvious one, the actual incidence of the physical or sexual abuse, hearing threats or fighting noises from another room. I'm not sure if you've heard, Jacqueline, also in your practice, a parent on more than one occasion, we never argue in the same room as the child, but the child's in the other room. Correct. Observing the aftermath and, you know, of the physical abuse, such as maybe blood, bruises, the mm-hmm. tears, the crying, broken items, mm-hmm. and just the awareness, the mm-hmm. awareness of the tension in the home, such as maybe, for instance, maybe the mother's fearfulness when the father returns home or vice right. versa. Mm-hmm. So, just knowing what witnessing means, the seeing, the hearing, the observing, and the where, I want to clarify that. Okay. So, so they don't actually have to be physically abused themselves, but the witnessing does have a great effect on them. Yes. Yes. Okay. And to answer your question, how does witnessing affect children, I can go through, there are age-specific indicators. So I can talk a little bit from each age group if if you would like. That would be really helpful. Okay, so I'll start off with infants. Um, This is not my primary population that I work with. My primary population is adults and adolescents. Okay. But um, according to the research, there is a basic need for attachment that is interrupted. And Mm -hmm. research indicated that more than 50% of infants cry excessively and have sleeping and eating problems. Mm, okay. There's an increased risk for injury due to being caught in the crossfire. 
mm-hmm. irritability, inconsolable crying, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. and developmental delays, those milestones. Okay. That's For very sad. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. And I believe a lot of the parents, what they, you know, they don't, they're infants. They don't know what's going on. Right. They're babies. They can't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, preschool age children, you're talking ages two to four. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of psychosomatic complaints. So they may end up in the doctor's office with abdominal pain, headaches, um, regressive behaviors, like including, you know, bedwetting, mm. sleep problems, um, anxiety around strangers. Night terrors are commonly seen, which are extreme form of nightmares. Okay. And they fearful. Um, during any years of being a child, but especially the preschool years, they, you know, they require the protection and stability. And these requirements are often, you know, really disturbed when families have domestic violence in the home. Mm. As for elementary school age children, ages pretty much 5 to 10, you know, they, this is when they start to show those behavior problems. They, okay. You know, they act out and they start to, you know, demonstrate some aggressive behaviors. Their self-esteem may be hurt. They blame themselves. They feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Poor social skills. Poor school performance. And, I mean, as you get older, the pre-adolescence, the middle school age, you know, these behavior problems I just, pre- just mentioned, you know, they mm. become more prevalent, more serious. Mm. They start to, you know, may, they can have some externalizing behaviors like setting fires, swearing, stealing, and then internalizing behaviors, which would be feelings of worthlessness, more aggressive behaviors. And then mm. for, of course, emotional issues, the fearful shame Right. for the adolescents is the group that I primarily worked with. And all the aforementioned behavior problems that I mentioned are exacerbated, extreme behavior problems. Their relationships with their friends or even their girlfriends, boyfriends, more of an intimate relationship, they mirror the violence that's witnessed at home. Mm. The the internalized, externalized behaviors, they, they can turn into severe, you know, severe and dangerous. For example, like we mentioned, substance misuse. Runaway, mm-hmm. suspensions, expulsions, you know, declining grades. They can start sexually acting out themselves, um, become suicidal. And that covers the pretty much the all the age groups. But now that we mentioned a lot of um I wanted to mention some protective factors, if I may. I do. I want to get on to that um, definitely, but I... I have a quick question to ask you with relation to the adolescents that you provide therapy to. Um, are they referred to you? Are they mandated to to see you as well? I have had mandated court-ordered clients before. Mm-hmm. Um, as of right now, they're, they're referred to us. Okay. Is that through the school system? Do they see these behaviors in school and then sort of get a school counselor involved? Um, how does it work? I do a lot of evaluations for the public schools and for charter schools throughout West Palm Beach County. And gotcha. they'll come in for like a, a psychoeducational evaluation where you're trying to, you know, trying to rule out why is, this, why is this child having difficulties learning in school. 
Okay. When you do the cognitive testing, nothing comes up, and you you research further, and Mm -hmm. you can end up seeing where the domestic violence plays a big part. Mm, And then we refer them for therapy. Um, They come in just, you know, by our marketing, just referred from, it's really a lot of word of mouth. Mm -hmm. When you're providing therapy to adolescents, um, what are the interventions that you use? Well, what I've found to be the most challenging with this population is establishing trust. Mm-hmm. And trust is the most important factor when working with the children that have been exposed to domestic violence. They need, they, they need a safe place with an mm-hmm. adult they can trust to begin the healing process. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do when working with these children is listen and provide them with um, their space and with respect. I let them know that I care about them that there, you know, there are adults who are interested in their opinions and their thoughts and their ideas. Mm-hmm. I use, you know, many different forms of therapy. I use art therapy, music, role playing. Okay. Um, I help them imagery work. We make collages. I connect them to organizations in the community that work with youth to give them okay. an outlet. Okay. Help them develop age-appropriate and realistic safety plans. Mm-hmm. For example, a safe person to contact, a safe place to go. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I target specific behaviors. For example, reducing aggression, okay. enhancing their self-esteem. And sometimes you have to deal with the trauma, the trauma of witnessing domestic violence. Right. I try to work with the families. Mm-hmm. I refer the parents for marriage counseling. Sometimes the parents don't even know how much they're impacting the kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, provide them with places to go for parenting skills training. Mm-hmm. So it's like a multifaceted sure. way of approaching it. Now, with your experience in working in this field, have you seen um, success with the treatment goals that you've been using and the interventions that you've been using? Yes. Yes, I've okay. Cases that it, yes. You do get the ones where they, maybe the parents won't continue the therapy, and then it's just the child, the identified patient. The identified problem is just the child. Fix the child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's never just the it's never just the one. It's usually a system approach, right? So those are a little bit more difficult to reach because you can fix the child, but you throw them back in the system, and they're only they end up drowning again. Right, exactly. But if you can get it from a systems approach and get you know, and if reduce the amount, if there's no substance use in the home, which is even an easier way to change the behaviors and get everybody on the same page, you can definitely make some progress. I actually agree with that. I I think it's very hard to work uh, with a child um, and then send them back into the environment that that they ultimately came to you for, for treatment, um, and you don't really see any result based on that, but you do if you can have that whole systematic uh, approach that you were saying where everyone's on board to help the child and the family, of course. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um, domestic violence, is it a cycle that people are in? 
A vicious cycle. Vicious. It's a vicious okay. cycle. Okay. Can you tell actually, me why it's vicious? Well, I actually can go into... I guess I'll give you a personal experience okay. of domestic violence. I actually... The reason I got into... The reason I'm interested in this topic is due to experiencing domestic violence in my own home when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So... As a child, I did not even know what was going on, and I thought I thought it was normal to see my parents, you know, arguing or yelling or, you know, sometimes physical abuse towards each other, especially mm-hmm. under the influence of um, primarily alcohol. Okay. So looking back as a you know looking back as a young adult and why I was studying psychology, this is when I began to like really piece things together. Mm. Um, I moved out really young at age seventeen. Mm-hmm. I can still remember the, the day I left the house and I was out on my own for that first week. I felt like I had like this weight lifted off my shoulders. Right. And okay. Not, not hearing your father yell or your parents argue. I mean, it just, I didn't even know, I didn't know what that was. I just remember mm-hmm. saying, wow, the stress was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't last for very long because shortly after I moved out, it wasn't long before my mother would call me all the time and ask me picked up from various places due to mm-hmm. having a fight with my father, like walking okay. home at nighttime, which was always totally against the rules. She told me about being safe, and I mm-hmm. felt obligated to help. You feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you're very concerned. And uh, the relationship with my father deteriorated over the years. Okay. You know, due to siding with my mother. And after many years of studying and obtaining my doctorate, um, my parents got older, they tired, my father quit drinking. Okay. Thankfully. I began to really understand that cycle of domestic violence. Mm. Um, in comparison to my their parents, the cycle just went on. Their parents was extreme forms of domestic violence. So what in their eyes, you know, they did a great job parenting. They improved. Mm. Mm. You know, they didn't have the best role models, but you can see the cycle from my personal example that, you know, it, it went on and it affected, you know, now even though they were fighting against it, it still affected them and obviously substance use is not a good thing. Right. So I think this is a great example of how, you know, domestic violence is mimicked by your children. Yeah, yeah. So they... So. My parents witnessed it, and in the most extreme forms, why they were growing up, and they they mirrored the behaviors as of their parents. Dr. Collette, just stay on the line. I'd really like to come back and discuss this a little bit further. We need to take a break. However, I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. On the path to a better future on Talk Zone. Here's Jacqueline James Friedman.
Welcome back to Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. We are talking to Dr. Kathy Collette from Florida about domestic violence. And uh, Dr. Collette, you were just sharing your personal experience of domestic violence in the home. Um, Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to find out, did you feel like you personally broke the cycle? And how, if you did? Over over the years of working with the population, mm-hmm. um, I know that my situation is not nearly as bad as others. So mm-hmm. by seeing other people's experiences, and I'm not trying to minimize it because that's what it definitely sounds like, but that's probably how I learned to cope. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know that I'm going to break the vicious cycle within my family, and that I know that I can help others do the same, and. I think part of what, you know, helped me was my education. Yes. I believe education is key. I probably would have never viewed it as domestic violence. Mm. I probably would have been engaging in some of my own domestic violence behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, a great support system makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. My, I know my parents came a long way, and, you know, they're they're currently now supportive in my life because I put up certain boundaries and didn't allow certain things to occur in my home. Very good. Our relationship, our relationship is much stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can mention there is a, there ha- was a struggle that I had for a very long time after my parents' substance use ended and their marriage improved. They never really understood the impact on their children. And to this mm. day, they do not understand, even with all my education and training, they just do not understand the impact they have. Their Why do you think that? Well, I think some of their, the way people remember things. Mm. And they minimize it. And they, they appear to like lack accountability for their actions by doing that. But, I mean, for, for my father's excuse, if you, may call, if you want to call it that, you know, he was an alcoholic my entire mm. teenage life and a young mm. adult. He probably does not have much memory of specific behaviors or events. Right. So if I talk about a specific situation when he was so under the influence, mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that he doesn't know the specifics. He knows there's a problem, you know, and it doesn't excuse his behavior, but it kind of explains it for me. Right. And that's because he really, truly did not know what he was doing when he was drunk, for example. So he can't recall the story and what the impact would have been in the family, correct? Correct. And I, yeah. and that's just, that's just one, like, specific instances, but he knows that it impacted his family. But I just mm. don't think they know the depth of it that, the, or could have. Right, right. Did they ever go for counseling themselves once they um, decided to get clean and and uh, they're still married, you said, correct? Yes, they're still married. So how have um, they worked on their relationship now? A lot of support, I guess, from the children. Okay. And they did go to therapy once, but my father was not receptive to it. Mm. And... He quit drinking because of health reasons, so I think he was forced mm. to quit drinking. And they are just more of that, you know, that old school parents, I will not divorce. We're okay. going to live together whether we're happy or not. 
And then over the years, they have like a love-hate relationship, and it's still, they're more supportive of each other because the substances are gone, and I mm. truly believe they love each other. But they kind of just went through the trenches together, and they never really wanted to reach out and, and go to therapy as much as I pressed upon them to do so. Mm. Did you feel that there was any trauma for you with the, the whole bickering and substance abuse in the home as a child and looking back? Looking back, I mean, I didn't get, I didn't get anything direct line of fire mm. of myself. Maybe mm. because I'm, I'm a female and I think my brothers would be more of the line of direct fire for okay. physical abuse. Um, I guess all my training and that that understanding of the cycle really made a difference for me. Mm. You know, I, I'm not directly pointing fingers at them anymore. I don't mm. have that anger towards them. You know, I, I kind of understand it. I'm not excusing their behavior, but I understand it. Sure. That and that's what it did for me. That's not all. And I and also working with the clients and with this population really made me see that it wasn't as bad as others. And if others that are, have a worse than me can pull through, so can I. Sure. And therefore, you give your knowledge and your experience and you provide hope out there with obviously the interventions and the treatment goals that you provide in your practice, correct? That's correct. Okay. Very That's good. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, if someone is in a domestic violent relationship what are the steps that they need to take well first and foremost is to acknowledge that you know something's going on Mm -hmm. you know to make sure i mean if you're if you're in it and you notice and acknowledge the signs like those questions i mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. you're saying yes to most of those questions so you have to notice and acknowledge the signs of an abusive relationship. That's the first step, mm-hmm. the first and foremost step to end it. So, I mean, my advice to listeners would be if you recognize yourself or someone you know with those warning signs or any descriptions of abuse, they need to reach out, and there is help available. But there is so much denial, so much shame and guilt. How does one get to that next point that that that's very difficult it, they that's when they usually end up in therapy for other reasons or they end up within the court systems for other reasons mm. there and a lot of times they don't want to reach out their partner doesn't want to reach out maybe they're in fear of reaching out right exactly and i'm think, thinking this is just so difficult to go out there and say uh i'm being beat up with my husband i'm in a domestic violent relationship I need help. I just don't think people generally extend their hands out who are involved. Right. And, I mean, that's part of the reason why I agreed to be on the talk show, and that's part of the reason why I do presentations. I think education and maybe just speaking to someone that may be a friend of someone Mm -hmm. that has domestic violence so they can Mm -hmm. be aware. I think education is the key. There is help. There is a way out. You do not have to stay in there and, and, and... and suffer for the rest of your life. And um, I think reaching out is like the key. Yeah, definitely. Providing and then, them with the tools. Mm-hmm. 
And then the other thing is, what if if someone had a really good friend who said, I know that you're in a bad situation right now. I really think that you need help. This is what we need to do. But they continuously deny that they're in this situation. I mean, how much more can a friend do? Just be supportive. Mm-hmm. I apologize for that. Just to be supportive. Mm-hmm. You, all you can do is be supportive and keep approaching the situation. I wouldn't just let it go, especially if there are signs of a significant abuse. Mm. Things, you know, I, I'm mandated to report certain things, whether the person, you know, if they're, someone's being sexually abused, if there's children in the home, of course, not onto adults. But I mean, being supportive and always being there and not making them feel that's their fault, pointing the fingers, saying, oh, well, you know what? It's your choice. Just like the case study I gave. I mean, I'm sure when I read, when I was explaining that case, many Mm -hmm. people are going through their minds like, stay at your job, go back to your job. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you mean you couldn't go to school? I mean, but that's not, you know, that's not the problem. You know, the problem is it's occurring and how do we fix it? You can't point the fingers at the person. I think that's what happens a lot. Mm. They're afraid to reach out because then they feel it's their fault. They feel guilty. Right. And then do you find that with children that they're hesitant to say what's going on in the home also? I've had clients reveal to me that when the Child Protective Services came out, out of fear of their parent, they changed the story. Mm. So, yes, they do frequently change their story. To pretend, and they don't want, they mention, I don't want to get him in trouble. I do love him. Right, right. So that's another issue at hand that has to be taken care of in therapy, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, providing therapy with children versus adults, yours is adult, adolescents, so they're young adults. Is there a difference between the two types of interventions that you would use? Well, Yes, I, you would approach it differently. With the younger ones, you can do more of, like I mentioned, like imagery work and art. However, when you get those young adults in mm. therapy, you find that cognitively they're not much older than an adolescent. Right. And you can use some of the same approaches. So mm. it, it just depends. It depends on their intellectual ability. Okay. When Sometimes you're using art therapy... therapy oh, I'm sorry. I think we've had a little... Technical difficulty That's there. Okay. Um, when you're using art therapy, what what are you what are you looking for in the artwork? I would look for signs of abuse. Mm-hmm. I would look for sometimes I just give them magazines or tell them to draw a picture about how you feel. Mm-hmm. When have you felt this way before? Um, what does this make you think of when you feel this way? Mm-hmm. Just to pretty much get them to talk and start labeling their feelings. It may bring up some type of trauma, but, well, I felt this way. I feel gloomy today. I I have felt this way before. And then we start talking to events when they did. Yeah. So it just gets them to talk and label their feelings so they don't really understand what they're feeling, whether it be anger or depression. And with the artwork, do do you look at the whole picture of the artwork and look at how they define lines and so forth? Do you do that personally with them? I don't really, I don't use too many projective techniques. Okay. It's more to get them 
it's more to get them to start talking and opening up during the beginning of therapy and helping them, you know, label their feelings. Okay. okay. I don't go into detail of too much of interpreting like the house tree person. There's specific things you can do, but I don't go into right. too much in depth, but it, it stimulates conversations and it sure. helps them talk about their feelings. Okay. Thank you for that. Please hold on the line, Dr. Collette. Um, I'd like to talk about some of the steps that individuals would take, who they would call, um, safe haven, et cetera, et cetera. But we do need to take a short break. I'm Jacqueline James Friedman, and this is The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Let's return to Jacqueline James Friedman for more of The Path to a Better Future on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com. We are talking to Dr. Kathy Collette from Florida about domestic violence. And just before we took a break, Dr. Collette, um, I wanted to talk about um, the steps that one one takes if they are in a domestic violent relationship. So, for example, um, do is there safe havens? Is there a shelter? Is there what would they do to take the steps when they're in this situation? Yes. There, there's shelters. There's shelters available. Um, okay. Basically, what I would start off is by contacting the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Okay. Which I can provide that number for you and your listeners. Yes, please. One eight hundred. 799 safe mm-hmm. which is 1-800-799-7233 great and we will mention that number again at the end of the show and for Florida listeners I know there's a Florida coalition against domestic violence on their website they will find you that you can definitely go on there and find different centers and programs, location of services, like you mentioned, like shelters. Mm-hmm. But starting with that hotline would be first and foremost. Okay. And there are individuals on that line that are able to guide them yes. to safety? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also maybe even get them to their local state office. Cause okay. The that's why I mentioned we have a Florida one. I'm sure California has it. I'm sure Chicago has one. We have the, the Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Each state should have their own. Okay. We want to talk about how how effective all of these support systems are for, and the therapy that you provide in providing hope to individuals and getting them back on a path to a better future. Um, in the therapy with your individuals, the, the women, for example, or even the men that come in, um, that I'm sure they're very resistant, like you said earlier. But as time goes on, do you see them deciding that they're going to leave their partners at all? Or do they end up working with their partners and trying to find a happy medium here? Well, the ones... If it's severe physical or sexual abuse, it usually ends up having to leave the partner due to maybe the partner accruing charges and the state stepping in. A lot mm-hmm. of them do not leave the partners, not from what my experience. Okay. It usually ends up to be individual therapy. 
I try to get it as a family therapy or marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. However, they usually try to work and stay in the environment they are in. Okay. And it seems that the older ones, when they come in, like I mentioned, it's not due to the issues of domestic violence. It's due to other problems they're having. Okay. From my experience. With the Okay. With the knowledge and the expertise that you have, Dr. Collette, what's the message that you want to send out there to people that are in this situation? That there is hope that mm-hmm. you can change. You do not have to stay in that type of environment. You do have a choice. Mm-hmm. Do people believe that they have a choice? That's the thing. Well... It's probably difficult when you're in it, and you may not believe it, but they do. And I think they need good support systems, and they need to reach out, or a friend needs to reach in. And so it's very important for us to ensure that we send that message very clearly to them, that we will support them, we will provide whatever the steps are to to helping them look forward to a better future, um, and ensuring that their lives are safe, right? Correct. Because it, domestic it, violence can get out of control. It it doesn't get it doesn't get easier, does it? I mean, it may start with a slap, but then it gets a little bit worse than that as time goes on. Correct. And so the escalation of violence could end up with something extremely serious. Yes, it gets more severe, and then that's why I mentioned when it becomes physical. Extreme mm-hmm. physical or mm-hmm. threatens their life. That's usually when they end up not being with each other due to incurring legal charges or mm. you know, extreme threats of their life or their yeah. children's life. Are there any other important messages that you need to send out there, Dr. Kathy Collette? Um, I do have a link that I would like to share with you, and maybe you can share with your listeners. I don't know if you can put it on your website. It's a very powerful little clip that shows how domestic violence can impact children. It's one okay. of the most powerful little clips. It's made by Doug Lynch. I will provide you the link, and if anybody wants to watch it, it takes two minutes of your time, but it's very powerful. Okay. And what is that about Doug Lynch's video? It shows how how much of a parent's behavior impacts their children. Mm-hmm. So it will definitely answer and show parents that don't understand how much it really impacts, you know, by witnessing domestic violence. It's definitely just by this two-minute clip, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a must-see clip. Okay. I will definitely look into that and ensure that that goes on my site. Um, the other thing is just bickering and arguing as a parent between each other is totally different to cussing, criticizing, um, and all the other pointers that you mentioned earlier. Is that right? Yes. Everybody has disagreements in the home. It's how it's handled. Mm-hmm shouldn't be yelling and being aggressive and no one should be feeling fear. That's the key, right? That's the key. 
Yes. So a child would know when someone's just having an argument in the home, the parents or maybe even a parent with another child, for example, but you shouldn't be sitting there with tension, fear, physically feeling scared, emotionally feeling scared. Correct. There's I a total difference. Yes. I even noticed certain behaviors of myself mm-hmm. that at times reminds me of my parents and that just that just shows you how strong that cycle goes, that vicious cycle comes. Okay. I know I'm thankful for everything that I've learned over the years with studying and working with who, with people that have suffered from domestic violence. Mm. Now I can critique my behaviors. I use my parents' negative behaviors in a more positive way. So, for example, some people don't understand they can you can express anger in different ways. You don't have to express anger by yelling. Right. You know, I can speak. You can speak assertively, you know, and and take time to collect your thoughts. You don't need to right. argue when you're feeling that emotion, that, that strong emotion. You may need to take a moment. Now, I have a quick question for you. Um, when a, a, a parent is yelling at their child constantly, um, does that incite violence later on, whether it be physical or emotional? Um. I mean, it's no guarantee, but it definitely is it's definitely considered emotional abuse, psychological abuse. Okay. And parents don't realize that does have an impact on their children. Mm-hmm. And it, it depends on the child, how it's going to affect the child. Parenting yeah. training would be yeah. the best advice. Yeah. And we, we do need to be very mindful of of how we parent our children. We're not perfect, are we, by any stretch of the imagination. But, Correct. Um, we do. I, th- I think it's good that you mentioned that you sit back and you critique because it's very powerful, the experiences that you've had. And I'm pretty sure that we've all had fairly powerful experiences in different ways that we um, pretty much enact out later on. Um, so we have to sit back a little bit and, and think about how this impacts the child or the children in our family. Yes. Okay. And if we're not sure how to do that, what should we be doing? Contacting somebody that does some support services. Go for okay. some parenting skills training. Parenting. Firm, okay. Parenting. Yes, parenting skills training, um, assertiveness training, learning mm-hmm. how to reduce your aggression, mm-hmm. communication skills training. Mm-hmm. I'm. I believe that's you know that. That's no a good one. Enough communication skills training. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Because actually there are are many situations where parents don't even know how to communicate with each other. So how are they going to communicate with the child? And how are they going to teach that child how to communicate with others? Correct. That's a good one. I like that. Um, we are literally approaching the end of the show for today, Dr. Kathy Collette. Um, I just want to reiterate that number that you mentioned the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 if you are experiencing domestic violence. That's all for this week's show. We've been speaking with Dr. Kathy Collette from Florida. I thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your personal story with us today. I'll be back next week at the same time. Thank you for listening to Path to a Better Future with Jacqueline James Friedman on TalkZone.com.